I would say where we're at right now uh, in our life is unexpected compared to where we thought we'd be when we were 20. Yeah, we well, I wanted to get married yeah. before we graduated from college. Yeah. And she said, no, we need to wait until after. Yeah. yeah, so she was going through school. She wasn't even done yet. She still had a year left. And we were incurring a lot of debt at that point. I think we had over $60,000 in debt. And we were trying to figure out how to pay for a wedding, how to be able to pay for an apartment after we graduated. She was still going to be in school for another year. Where to live. Where to live. To figure out where to live. If I was even going to have a long-term job, like one that I could trust on getting a paycheck regularly. Mm -hmm. Things really changed when we got into a small group. We signed up online and we got connected to a group of people uh, that we actually found out were like us, that everybody doesn't have their finances figured out. We almost felt alone in that area, but the more we talked to people, the more we learned, hey, you're not alone in this. It's okay that you've made mistakes with money or that you made certain decisions, but God's way of handling money is there's a better way than what we were doing. I mean, when we initially started and looked at taking a course on it, I was not interested. I, I wasn't I wasn't against it, but I didn't really want to, it was going to be like an every Tuesday thing. I was like, we don't need to do this. I don't want to be involved. It really took after going and starting to see, um, A, what, that it was actually what God wanted for us was to not be in debt and to actually be able to bless people with our money. But then the journey and seeing that we actually were making progress really helped me. And honestly, it took a lot of us laying our pride down and understanding we're called to be asset managers of everything that God's given us. We're not actually the owners. And yeah. that changes. Yeah, it's like that perspective change. God's not a transactional God, but he is a relational God. And he wants your heart and he wants to work through you in your relationships with other people at your workplace and also through your finances. We're excited for the future because now we're at a point where we're in a different space to think and to dream. And that's super exciting to think about what God can do through us because as we talked about, that's what he wants in his people is to be able to work through them. It doesn't matter where you're at. Uh, what matters is getting plugged into a group of people that you can connect with and then learning how to do things God's way, which is the best way. All right, well, I wanna welcome uh, everybody at all of our physical locations and those of you joining us at Traders Point Online. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and are recovering from your turkey coma. Uh, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been, uh, if you've been joining us, we've been talking about our vision lanes, which is just our way of uh, thinking about and talking about how God is at work in and through the ministry of our church all around the world. And so we've talked about our efforts towards providing for vulnerable children, leadership development, and the third vision lane is Traders Point campuses. And what we mean really by that is the fact that the church should always be a multiplying movement. And when we go back and we read about the days of the early church, one of its defining characteristics was it was always on the move. They never stayed in any one place for very long. And even Jesus said, go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if a church isn't multiplying, it's dying. And so several years ago, we said, let's not just stay in this location, but let's start uh, starting uh, Traders Point locations around the city. And we started launching various physical campuses and God's really blessed that. And then uh, obviously our newest campus 
is TPO, Traders Point Online, which is so crucial uh, during the season that we are in right now. I know we have a number of people uh, joining us online, not only in Indy, but all around the world. And we're so glad that you could join us. Uh, our goal in TPO is that you would feel like you're part of our church family, that you could engage wherever you might be joining us from. And uh, so I just want to thank our entire church for your generosity towards all these three vision lanes. You can get all the information about them at our website at tpcc.org. Well, uh, next week we are going to begin our uh, Christmas message series, but today we are wrapping up this short two-part series of messages that we've been in uh, simply called Flow. And if you joined us last week, I talked about the, the big idea behind this series is that this is a message series dealing with a subject that touches every single one of us, and that's the subject of personal finances and money. And whether you um, are sort of uh, money-minded, and what I mean by that is like maybe you're the one that runs the budget in your household and you're just sort of wired up that way, or maybe you're a person who's not. Maybe you would even say like, I don't even really like money that much, I don't think about it. It still touches all of our lives. And if all of us were gonna be honest, we would say that at some point in our life, um, money has become a major source of stress rather than a source of blessing. And the reason why I decided to put this two-week series where it's at on either side of Thanksgiving is because going into the holiday season, at least speaking for me, this can be the time of the year where money becomes more of a source of stress than it does a source of blessing. And the idea behind flow is that um, money flows into our lives when we earn it, and then it provides some things, it does some things, and then it flows right back out of our lives. We, we can't hold on to it, but as it does, it shapes our hearts. Sort of like um, water in, in a creek, as it flows over the rocks in the, ro in the bed of the creek, it shapes those rocks, and the flow of money in and out of our lives shapes our hearts as well. And I think this is the primary reason why Jesus taught on the subject of money and personal finances more than any other subject. It's not because he wants our money. It's because he wants our hearts to be shaped in the right way. And last week, if you joined us, just as a sense of recap, we said there's really only like five things that you can do with money. We, we can earn it. And God's word says, earn it honestly. And we can save and invest it. And God's word says, save and invest it gradually. And we can give it. And God's word says, hey, give it generously and we can spend it. And God's word says, spend it wisely. And then lastly, we can enjoy it. And God's word gives us counsel on this to enjoy it carefully so that it shapes our hearts in the right direction. Well, today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to be in a passage in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and, and get there. Uh, it's a parable that Jesus teaches and uh, I want to preface this before we get into the parable by saying that um, many of us already know this, like Jesus was a master teacher, like he was just an incredible teacher. And one of the things that he knew is that oftentimes we are not maybe willing or ready to receive um, objective truth just yet. And so instead of lecturing us, Jesus would tell a story. He, it was one of his favorite methods of teaching. And the stories that Jesus told were called parables. They were earthy stories with heavenly meanings. And parables were oftentimes perplexing. And one of the things that I want you to know about parables is that uh, for the vast majority of them, if not all of them, they only had one point. 
Jesus would tell an elaborate story to really communicate one powerful truth. So for example, in Luke 15, the chapter before we're gonna study right now, uh, can be found the parable of the prodigal son. It's one of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told. And the point that he was trying to make is that God loves you with an extravagant, almost scandalous type of love. Now, Jesus could have said, hey man, God loves you so much and his grace covers you no matter what. And maybe you might believe that, but you maybe likely wouldn't feel it. And he knew that. And so he told a story instead to communicate that point. He tells a story about a young man who does something very few of us, if any of us would ever do, he asks for his share of his inheritance early, then he goes off to a foreign land, blows it on wild living, and then he comes back to his father and his father runs to him and he throws the robe around him, puts the ring on his finger and says, I'm gonna throw a big party for you. And it's just so shocking. And Jesus says, that's how much God loves you. Now it's important to know that because as we come into Luke chapter 16, this is a parable that I've actually found to be one of the most perplexing that Jesus ever taught. In fact, you're going to catch this as we get into it. It's a bit troubling. It's even a bit unsettling. You're going to scratch your head a little bit like, Jesus, what are you trying to get at? And I want to remind you that parables have one point and Jesus is communicating something almost unbelievable to get a point across to us that is so crucial when it comes to money and personal finances. So with that set up in mind, Jesus begins in chapter 16, starting in verses one and two. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. So what I want you to see here is that you've got a, a business owner. Now I know that uh, there are many of you that own your own businesses. Like you started it from the ground up. You're an entrepreneur. And if you have your own business, you know, there is nobody else in the organization that cares about it more than you do. It is your baby because you have an owner's mentality. And that's what this guy has, but he hired a day-to-day -day operations manager to take care of the day-to-day -day operations and the guy isn't doing a very good job. He was, he was good at interviewing, but he's not good in the day-to-day -day. and the manager realizes it. It's, it didn't say that he was stealing money. It says he was wasting it. He wasn't doing a very good job. So the manager brings him in or the owner brings him in and he says, listen, this just isn't working out. I think you probably know that. And so why don't you go ahead and wrap up these last few projects. Let's get the details of your severance package in order uh, because we're going to have to part ways. And in verse three, this is the manager's response. The manager thought to himself, now what? That's a scary question. My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. And all of us at one time or another have been in a situation very similar. Maybe a job comes to an end. Maybe we get scaled back. Maybe things didn't turn out the way that we wanted. Have you ever asked that question internally to yourself, especially as it relates to income and money? Now what? I mean, it's kind of a scary question. And he knows um, his strengths and his weaknesses. And he knows, hey, listen, I, if I have to do manual labor, my family's gonna starve. And I'm too proud to go live with my in-laws. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But then in verse four, he gets an idea. He says, ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. 
So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. So uh, let me explain how much this guy uh, owes here. Um, 100 gallons of oil would have been the amount that you could have pressed out of 150 olive trees. So it would have been the equivalent of about two to three years worth of salary to the average worker during this time period. I mean, this is a significant amount of debt that this guy owes. And the manager says, hey, how about you cut it in half? And then he brings in the second guy, verse seven. And he says, how much do you owe my employer? And he says, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. So he said, here, take the bill, change it to 800 bushels. And so the amount here that we're talking, since we don't necessarily deal in olive oil and wheat nowadays, is he basically said, this is about 10 years worth of salary to the average worker. That's how much this guy owes. And he says, hey, why don't you reduce your debt by about 20%. Now, this is what's perplexing about the parable. This is like really shady to say the least. This guy's plan was to reduce the debts of the uh, owner's uh, customers so that when he's out of work, so that when his income is dried up, he's beyond the severance package and maybe he hasn't landed another job just yet, so that maybe when his home is being foreclosed on, he can go back to these two guys, knock on their door and say, hey, remember when I reduced your debt? Uh, yeah, I'm staying with you for a while. You know, I even, I even packed my bag. That's his plan. Now, if you'd never read this parable before, you'd almost be expecting Jesus to turn a corner here and reprimand this guy and say that he's just made a bad situation even worse. Like he couldn't cut it at the job. And now let's just add fraud to the list of his incompetencies. But that's why what Jesus says next is just so surprising to say the least. Check it out, verse eight. The rich man had to admire the dishonest manager for being so shrewd. Now, uh, shrewd just simply means clever. And so the, the business owner, instead of getting really, really upset, he finds out what the manager has done and he says, man, I gotta hand it to him. That's brilliant. Now, his admiration doesn't necessarily mean that he is condoning the guy's behavior. And see, this is where the parable can get a little bit confusing, especially if you're the kind of person that's like either this is right or this is wrong, this is black and this is white. I mean, it can be a little bit uh, confusing for us, but uh, you can admire something or admire someone without necessarily endorsing it. Um, so, uh, so here's maybe an example. When I was um, a senior in high school, I was on the basketball team and uh, our arch rivals uh, that were, they were about two hours away, they were the best uh, team in the league. And uh, their number one player was a guy named Tim Gill. And Tim was just an incredible basketball player. He was 6'5", he was slender, he was fast, he could dunk, he could shoot the three. And he had already signed to play division one basketball the next year. 
And um, I knew when we were going to play those guys. It was on the calendar. And I knew that in man-to-man defense that I would be assigned to cover Tim, not because I was as good as he was, but because I happened to play the same uh, position. And I was dreading the, that game because I knew how good he was. And I remember when uh, that, the night of that game came, uh, I gave it 110% trying to cover Tim Gill. And it wasn't enough by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, Tim was just playing with me. I, my guess is that he was only going about 60% because he was that good. And the whole game, he was like the nicest guy. He was like always complimenting me. He was like saying, hey man, nice defense, nice shot, which just made me hate him all the more. And this is kind of the idea is that I, he was like sort of my arch rival. Like I, I didn't want to endorse him. And yet at the same time, I had to respect him. And I was like, man, that guy is really, really good. And in, and in somewhat of a similar way, what you've got here is you've got the business owner looking at this manager and saying, you know what? I got to hand it to him. Like the guy's really good. He is really clever. He is, his back is up against the wall and he did what he had to do. He is commending him for his shrewdness here to make sure that he could provide for his family later. Now, if you're already having a hard time with this parable, which I would imagine there are many of us that are, uh, buckle up because what Jesus says next might even be more difficult to get your head wrapped around. He's, look at what he says in verse eight. He says, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is basically saying that uh, those who are uh, not following me, they probably look at the guy in this story and they go, man, smart guy. That's probably what I would do. But those of us who are following after Jesus, he says, we are not as shrewd. We are not as clever in dealing with the rest of the world. Now, Jesus can probably see the confusion and even the disbelief on their faces as he said that. And so he clarifies his point. And this is where uh, we really need to hone in here because remember what I said before about parables only communicating one point. Jesus, so as not to be unclear, makes his one point really clear here. And he says this in verse 9. Here's the lesson. In other words, here's why I told the story. Use your worldly resources, time, talent, and treasure to benefit others and make friends. He said, that is the point of the parable. He says, with your resources, benefit other people. With your cash, make friends. Now, does that sound like something Jesus would say? And I would say, no. Not really, at least at face value. But what he means by that is not as shallow as what we might make it sound. Jesus is not saying that we uh, need to be fake with people. He's not saying that we're trying to uh, position ourselves or to kiss up to people. No, what he's trying to get at here is he says, use these temporary resources that you've been entrusted with as simply a manager of. Use those to benefit others and to bless the lives of other people, that they would actually sit back and go, wow, that's the kind of individual that uses their resources to actually benefit others and not just themselves. She uses her money to be generous with others and it changes people's perspectives 
See, we, we all do this anyway, don't we? Like you ever been around somebody that's just sort of stingy and you don't necessarily say anything, but you think it? And have you ever been around somebody that's like really, really generous and you're just like sort of humbled by that kind of generosity? This is what Jesus is getting at. He says, be the kind of people that are open-handed, not closed-handed, because it makes a difference in the lives of others. Several years ago, my wife and I went to uh, dinner with uh, a couple in our church that we were just getting to know. And, and uh, they uh, called us, they invited us uh, to go. They said, hey, we'll make the reservation. And then afterwards we'll go duck pin bowling down at Fountain Square. And um, they, they picked us up that night and just the whole evening we were impressed with their generosity. Now, uh, it wasn't just generosity with money, it was just generosity of spirit, like what I mean by that, like they offered to pick us up. As soon as we got in the car, they started to compliment us. They were encouraging us. Like just the whole evening was just, they were just generous in everything. And they picked up the bill for the meal. And I said, man, you don't have to do that. And they said, man, we're happy to do that. We go to, to duck pen bowling. And uh, there was a group of people in the lane right next to us. And they were getting ready to finish up their game. And one of them had ordered like a large pitcher of beer. They, they poured themselves like one glass and then uh, like they, they left. And when we were uh, finished with our game, we go up to the desk to like settle up on the bill. It's just me and the, and the, uh, the man that we were with. And uh, the, the, the guy behind the counter, he said, uh, he said, hey, was that your pitcher of beer? Because it was on the table that we were sharing in between lanes. And we were like, no, that was the group that was before us. And he didn't believe us. He thought it was ours. And he said, no, like, no, like, I think it's yours. Like you need to pay for it. They didn't pay for it. And I'm uh, starting to get a little bit like, upset. Like I'm starting to like uh, get, I, I'm getting to the place where I'm like, when do I pull the pastor card? Cause that'll work, right? Like you can't make a pastor pay for a pitcher of beer. It's in the Bible. It's not really, but I might say that it is. And so I was like, like, you can't do, like, I'm ready to like argue with him about it. And he's like, you can tell he doesn't believe us. And I'll never forget my friend. He was so cool about it. He just said, oh man, they didn't pay for it. And he's like, uh, go ahead. We'll take care of it. And I got to tell you, I was like, what? And the guy behind the counter was like, what? And here's what he did. He goes, oh man, don't worry about it. Like if it wasn't yours, like don't worry about it. See, his generosity diffused the whole situation. And my guess is if he would have started to argue about it, the guy behind the counter would have argued about it and it would have escalated and it would have gotten ugly. Here's what I think happened. I think that his generosity totally shocked the guy because generosity stands out. Gener because for most of the world, we're trying to get what's ours. For most of us, we're trying to guard our resources. We're trying to save up. We're, we're fearful that we're gonna get taken. And so we'll argue about little things and, and uh, we'll, we'll get nitpicky about what, whatever's on the receipt. But generosity of spirit stands out to the rest of the world. Now, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about generosity of time, generosity of talent, generosity with all of your stuff. Jesus says, hey, listen, with your temporary resources as the manager, not the owner, make sure that you're blessing and benefiting the lives of other people. And here's why. Verse nine, he says, then when your possessions are gone and eventually they will be, they, referring to others, will welcome you to an eternal home. See, it's not if your cash is gone, it's when. 
Remember, easy come, easy go. Flow in, flow out. You can't take it with you. A humbling thought, every time I start to get a little bit guarded or defensive with resources, is for me just to sit back and say, you know what, everything that my name is on, every, every title that I have, every piece of paper that says that thing is, is mine, all of my uh, financial resources in the bank, I just sit there and go, you know what, within about 50 or 60 years, it's gonna be in somebody else's name. Like it's temporary at best. All of my resources uh, I just have on a temporary basis. And money, aside from that, can fail us in a number of ways. You ever just like looked at your bank account and was like, man, where did it all go? Especially if you've got teenagers in the house. And I know, like I've got some bad news for those of you that have got young kids in the home and you complain about diapers and baby food. I just gotta tell you, the expenses don't go away. They just get bigger. It's just bigger and more expensive stuff. And you're just like, where did all the resources go? And aside from that, another way that money can fail us, not just when like the stock market drops by 800 points or not just when maybe we lose our job, which I know that there are some of us that have right now during the year that we've been in, but money can also fail us when maybe we attain a certain level financially that we always thought if we could get there, then all our problems would go away. You remember that? You remember thinking to yourself, I make X amount, but if I could just, you know, I make 20,000 a year, but if I could just make 40,000 a year, then all my problems would go away. And then you get to 40,000 and they really didn't. And you're like, well, if I could just get to 75,000 a year, then all my problems would go away. And you get to 75,000 and it didn't because it just continues to be elusive. Money fails us, but Jesus keeps hitting this and he says, but the one way, the one thing that you can make sure that money won't fail you is if you can make it not about yourself, but about others. And he basically says, how you handle your resources is an eternal investment that when you benefit others with it, he says, one day they will welcome you into an eternal home. In other words, your generosity here in this temporary life will earn you not your salvation, but your reputation in heaven. And that's actually a really awesome thought. Now he's gonna help us to understand the whole parable right here in verse 10. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you will be honest, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And that is a key principle here. And it is absolutely true, isn't it? Like here's another way that we could say it is that who I am before I have enough will likely be who I am after I have enough. In other words, we, we can't say, uh, you know what? Like I know I'm, you know, uh, not very hardworking and I'm somewhat untrustworthy now working this low level job. But once I get the promotion I deserve, then I'll start working hard. Right, like it doesn't work that way, right? Like who I am now is likely who I'm gonna be later. I can't say, well, you know what? I'm gonna change my attitude later and I'll work harder. No, I'll just continue to be the same person that I was. If I say I uh, don't manage my money very well and I'm up to my eyeballs in debt, making 50,000 a year, then it's likely not gonna change when you make $100,000 a year. And Jesus says in verse 11, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? See, this parable is about a manager 
who became painfully aware of his financial future. And I would say that most of us don't live with that kind of clarity. Like what he got was he had a, 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 the, his boss come to him and say, hey, you're about to be fired. Settle up your projects right now. He got that kind of clarity. And most of us never really see it coming. We don't know exactly what's gonna happen on Thursday. Most of us aren't sitting here thinking, you know, in two weeks I'll get fired and then a week later I'm gonna lose my house and then I'm gonna be out on the street. Most of us don't get that information. But the manager in the parable did. And so with that future in mind, he began to live, he began to prepare, he began to plan for that day of reckoning. And the owner said, man, that is shrewd and that is brilliant. And I wish the children of light would live that way as well. He's saying, I wish that followers of Jesus would live with that kind of clarity because you know what, the day is coming when those resources will flow out of your life. So while you have them, manage them well. He's saying you would live so differently if you would just remember this one simple but difficult to get our heads around principle, that we are simply managing the stuff that we have. And one day the way that we manage it will all come to light. And then Jesus finishes up in verses 13 and 14. And he says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and, and scoffed at him. And so how Jesus summarizes this here is he's really pushing on this and he really makes us uncomfortable. And he's not saying that money is evil in and of itself. And he's certainly not saying that you can't have a lot of money. What he's saying is don't Make money and possessions your primary pursuit. See, when it comes to money and possessions, we can either worship with our wealth or we will worship our wealth, but we can only do one or the other. And Jesus is saying, choose well. Choose well. Worship with your wealth. Don't worship your wealth. And the Pharisees who really, really loved their money and what it could do for them, for them they just immediately dismissed it. And they said, they, they said things like this that many times we often say when we hear messages on money, they say, well, you know, I don't have this problem. You know, such and such really needs to hear this message. I hope they're tuning in right now. I'll send a link later this week. They really need to hear it. Jesus is saying, no, reflect upon your own heart. And if, if I could boil it all down real simply, and the primary thing that we pull out of this parable and the primary thing that can really help us as we manage the flow of money in and out of our lives is this simple principle right here is that God owns it and we manage it. God owns it all. And we have just been given the temporary assignment to manage it. And if we don't grasp this truth right here, then we will always struggle with everything else that Jesus teaches and commands about money. And here's what he's saying. You and I don't own a bunch of stuff. We've been entrusted with a bunch of stuff. And what will happen is, is that we'll forget that. This, this is something that is so easy to forget, especially whenever we find ourselves in a financial bind. And the one thing that, that Jesus gives to us to help us remember that we are simply the manager and not the owner 
is generosity. In fact, I would say that generosity is the antidote to living as if we are the owners of our resources. A sort of like premeditated generosity, a planned generosity where we say, hey, before money ever flows into my life, I've already determined where it's going to flow out ahead of time to make sure that I remember that I'm, I don't own any of it, that I've just been given the temporary management of it. And generosity is the antidote to thinking, believing, and operating as the owner of my stuff rather than the manager of it. See, when you're generous with your, your things and your money, it is a very tangible reminder that it was never yours to begin with. But actually, when you are generous, you receive something. In fact, there's a reason why scripture says it's more blessed to give than, than to receive. We've all felt that before. It's, just, it's, it's something that transcends the material. This is what would prompt Paul to say what he said to the church in Corinth. We actually uh, looked at a portion of this last week in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And that is written as a promise. And so God desires us to trust him, to, to live open-handedly like this. When you live open-handedly, God can fill your hands with resources so that, that way it can benefit others. When you live like this, it's closed-handed. Nothing can come in, nothing can come out. And God says the antidote to this type of ownership mentality is generosity. And there's really uh, different types of generosity. In fact, um, I would say that for many of us, here's sort of where we start, even as like little kids when it comes, like we know we should be generous, but we don't really want to be. And I would just simply call it like three S giving. And that's like spontaneous, sporadic and sparing. <laughs> like that's how I gave when I was a little kid. And it's like, I know I should share my candy, but I'll, I'll do it spontaneously and it'll be sporadic and it'll be somewhat sparing. And we kind of take this into adulthood as well. And we want to be generous. And maybe like whenever um, we see like the, you know, Santa ringing the bell for the Salvation Army, you know, we'll give, but it's sort of spontaneous. It's sporadic, it's sparing. Whenever Sarah McLaughlin, you know, pulls on our heartstrings on those pet commercials, you know, we might give a few bucks to that, but it's sparing, it's spontaneous and, and uh, it's sporadic. But actually I would say that, um, and there's nothing wrong with any of this, but I will say that the heart-shaping level of generosity goes deeper. And see, the Bible teaches a premeditated type of generosity, a premeditated type of generosity in which I'm gonna decide ahead of time how much to give and where to be generous. And here's the key, before my circumstances talk me out of it. And if I don't do this, my circumstances will always talk me out of it because there's always an unexpected bill and there's always an unexpected expense. And I don't wanna let that talk me out of the blessing of being generous. So here's what we need to graduate to is what I would say just being 3P uh, givers. It's premeditated, it's proportionate to the income that I have now, not the income that I had 10 years ago or the income that I will have. And it's a percentage. See, when you can get to that, that level of generosity, I'll tell you what, that's heart shaping right there. When you get into that level, that requires faith, that requires trust. That's when you invite God into your financial world and he begins to do some life-changing things 
And the Bible has a word for premeditated generosity. The Bible has a word for three P givers. And it's just simply the word tithe. And for those of us who maybe grew up in the church or have been around this for a while, you've got kind of a unique relationship with the word tithe. There's some baggage with it. Maybe you had some bad teaching on the tithe or maybe it feels somewhat legalistic and, and uh, maybe you feel like you've been manipulated at times. We got to go back to 2 Corinthians where Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't, don't give under compulsion. Don't, don't give because somebody's twisting your arm, but, but give because you want to. Give because God has given to you. And then if you can get to that place, then premeditate your generosity. And the best way to do that is in a tithe, which just simply means a tenth, a tenth of your income ahead of time before your circumstances talk you out of it. The clearest thing that God ever said about the tithe was in Malachi chapter three, verse 10, where he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food. Notice it says into one place. So there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And I love this. Just try it. When do you say that? Just try it. Usually it's the little kids who don't want to eat good food for them. It's like, I'll just try it. Hey, just try it. And he goes, hey, put me to the test. See what I might do. This is the one place in scripture where God trash talks us. He's like, hey, come on, why don't you just test me in this and see what I might do? And here's what's ingenious about the tithe is that it is premeditated and it is proportionate to your income. See, it is, it structures generosity into my life that is proportionate to what I make. Now, uh, I want you to know something very clearly. The tithe is not to be treated legalistically. So there might be some that would say, well, I think the tithe was an Old Testament thing. We're under the New Testament. And that's true. But actually the tithe was mentioned prior to Old Testament law. It was mentioned in Genesis 14. So it's actually a principle that predates the law. It's a principle, not a law. And in, in the New Testament, we're saved by grace. So that ought to make us, us gracious. So the tithe is just simply the training wheels of generosity. It is a place to begin. It is a place to measure. Does this mean that if uh, maybe you're not able to, to tithe, that maybe you're in sin? No, it just means that you need to get yourself to a position financially where you can trust God with a tithe. Some of us have been tithing for years and we've never moved beyond it. And we've sort of lost the principle as well. We need to actually get to this place to say, in what area do I, do I need to trust God in my life. Now, why a tenth? And I've given a lot of thought to this. And I think the reason why God mentions a tenth is because it's not enough to ruin you financially, but it is certainly enough to get your attention. It's certainly enough that if you don't budget for it and plan for it, then it likely isn't going to happen. So here's what I wanna ask you to do. If you are not already tithing, that you would just give it a try. As we come into 2021, as we begin to think about New Year's resolutions and habits that are gonna shape this upcoming year, maybe that's something you might consider and say, you know what? We're gonna go on a faith journey with God and we're gonna premeditate our generosity and just see what he might do. And I've been teaching on this for so many years and I've had so many people say, we're gonna try it and do it. And I've never had anybody come back and say, we are so sad that we did that. In fact, it's just been the opposite. Everybody said, man, God showed up in incredible ways because once again, you're inviting him into your financial world. 
And I just simply want you to know, I'm not teaching on this because the church is in financial trouble because actually, because of your generosity, we're in a great financial position. But we always have more vision than resources. And as we look into 2021, we're not backing down. As we look into 2021, we know that there's gonna be more needs than ever. We know that people's mental health and anxiety is gonna be at all time highs. We know that there's gonna be needs of more vulnerable children, not less than ever before. We know there's gonna be more needs uh, to increase our capacity on TPO, to reach and engage more people. There's gonna be more needs to expand the efforts of the local church, church, not less. And as a church family, we're running after what God wants to do in and through us in 2021. We're not backing down. And I wanna live my life in such a way that one day in eternity, people say, thank you for using your worldly resources and looking at that through an eternal lens. And I wanna be a part of a church family that makes a significant impact upon the kingdom of God because of what we did with the temporary resources that God has entrusted to us. Let me pray. Father, I know that this is an uncomfortable subject for all of us to think about and to talk about and to hear about. And yet at the same time, we know that you do some of your most important work spiritually in our lives when we can get our financial worlds in order. And especially during the year that we've had and getting ready to go into the holidays. God, I just pray that each one of us would take these words to heart and recognize that the flow of money into and out of our lives, it shapes our hearts. And we wanna be intentional about the direction that our hearts are headed. And so Father, I pray today that if somebody needs to take a step of faith in this area of their life, that they would be willing to, and that you would show up and that you would meet them in that step of faith and that you would prove yourself real and authentic in their life. God, we wanna make an eternal difference in this world through the resources that are funneled through this church. God, we know that a fearful world needs a fearless church, that in a dark world, it needs a church that's gonna shine the light the brightest. And so we come together to do that. We thank you for the opportunity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Hey, would you stand to your feet? Because we are going to worship together as we close.